I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey everybody, this is part two of our conversation with Azura on bulimia and anorexia. If you didn't listen to episode one or part one, go back, don't be a turkey, listen to that, and then hit us up with this episode. Enjoy. This is Sick Boy. about the Canadian government, which is so great. Our healthcare system is so great. Um, I'm so happy to live in Canada. And our prime um, minister is so cute. <laughs> is he, though? <laughs> Ooh. Um, a naysayer. <laughs> and uh, so the thing about there's but there are limited spots and there's wait times. So, I mean, we exhausted all of our resources. We tried to find, like, a treatment center. Things were booked up. Like, I think there was, like, almost a year wait list. And so... My dad was like, well, we can apply to the government, see if you can go somewhere in the States and they'll pay for it. And the government said, we won't unless you can prove that you have organ damage. So I got a bunch of tests run and I had kidney damage. Oh my God. Um, and so that's crazy. That's a thing. So they will go, all right, you need help. We can't give it to you here. So we'll pay for you to go down to the States. Yeah. Cause they didn't have room. And that's why like, holy shit. It was, they won't, I don't know if they'll still do that now, but this is like. I remember thinking, and because my mom, my mom has had like so many joint replacements, like all over her body, and and they paid for them all. I've I've tried to like sit down and what add is your up. mom dealing with? She has rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, so she has artificial hips, knees, ankles, two of her Whoa. fingers, and they've all been re-replaced or replaced other right. than um, other than like her her finger joints and stuff. And she's had that my whole life. Um, but I've tried to like add up how many like how much all of her surgeries and my treatment would cost, like in the states, and it's just ridiculous. Like, We'd it's, be, yeah, it's insane. We, yeah, our family yeah. would be living in a tent. I was going to say trailer, but like not even, not even like no. not even. So what's crazy is, yeah, they paid for me. Like I live in Canada. Oh I'm God. the luckiest person in the world. And they paid for me to go to a treatment facility. So a treatment facility in the States, um, generally costs around legit a thousand dollars a day. Wow. What? Actually, wow. which, which is like crazy. And then you think of girls who are suffering in the States without insurance plans or people who are lower income or, and stuff. And it's like you, like when you're there, you're laying on a bed, you have like three people massaging you. You got someone else like lowering grapes in your mouth with your mouth open. <laughs> a person like eating you yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to get better. 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 dollars I get it. Now I know why. Yeah, I think it's because you have like four therapy sessions a week, group therapy for multiple hours every day, a dietitian and outings. They're always like in, this one was in St. Louis, Missouri in like this national park. It was beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, which is so weird because to prepare for this, I was like, I'm just going to Google it and like see some images and see if it triggers anything. And the people that just, <laughs> that owned it, like don't anymore because they were accused of implanting like fake memories into up to 25 people that they were abused and also had and they implanting the memories that they were in satanic cults. And I remember being there and two girls had said that um, they had cults 
like this cult abuse. And I was like, I didn't know this was this common. But apparently, hold on, hold on. This is so whack. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can you talk about the implanting of memories? Yes. So these women claim. Robotically implant. Hold on. If only. No, so they practice this form of therapy called. Inter- inception like hypnosis. <laughs> There's a second inception. Yeah, come oh to think of it, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio was leading some of <laughs> yeah. the sessions. Yeah. It was interesting. Oh my god, if only. <laughs> so, but actually, what the was fuck? it like a form of so, hypnosis? No, yeah. So they have this this type of therapy. I think it's called internal family systems, something along those lines. And part of it is kind of this hypnotic intro, and they try to get you to access. Memories, because a lot of people who do suffer like abuse and whatever as a survival mechanism will suppress it. Yeah, and so they would try to like say like, oh yeah, just like go with it or whatever, like explore whatever you're feeling. And these people would come up, and I don't know if the sessions were guided in such a way, but but up to 25 families said it ripped our family apart. Like people would come back and be like, my dad abused me, and I'm sure in some instances it, it did, fuck. but a lot of times it didn't. And one girl was like accusing like over a hundred people of having sexually Whoa. assaulted her. Whoa. Uh, like all these crazy things, and anyway, so is there, a, uh, is there a book on this, or like is there some sort of this? Sound, this is fascinating. I it's would like so to fascinating. Look into this I'll, like, I'll send you some stuff, but I yeah, was just googling please. it, and I was like, "What?" Because yeah. I remember being like, "How did two people here like have this cult abuse?" And like, and and this, it's funny. This therapist like didn't really pay a lot of attention <laughs> to me. Like I was like, "I'm a lost cause." Like I don't know. <laughs> She's like, not going to believe in that <laughs> satanic shit. <laughs> I don't, yeah. And Put her the in that room is, where they eat her out and give her the grace. <laughs> but what's crazy is he, he, he's trained and taught at John Hopkins, like all this stuff. Holy so, shit. so maybe these people just kind of like said some stuff and he was like, just go with it. I'm not saying he's like a, a terrible person or no, whatever, yeah. but I mean, he was a pretty cool guy. Um, but anyways, that's, that's so weird. That's fucking fascinating. So anyway, yeah. so I was living in St. Louis, Missouri and, at an inpatient treatment facility for a couple months. Um, my goal is to go, this is over the summer. My goal is to be able to get out of there by September and thing like, I don't, the program like kind of helped me, uh, like calm my symptoms a bit, at least decrease them a bit. But I don't know if I was really ready or if it was like the right treatment modality. Cause I got home and within a matter of time, like I wasn't as bad as I was, but I definitely, it definitely wasn't gone. What what was like, give, give me a rundown on like some of the treatments. Like what would you do? It was there? mostly, um, Individual counseling, uh, group therapy, um, art therapy here and there. And then things that were really helpful to me, which seem really silly to people who haven't had eating disorders, were these like exposure exercises. So you'd like go to a restaurant and have to like order what a normal person would eat and like maybe even like a caloric beverage, like maybe even a Coke. (laughs) And like, I like, this is like, (laughs) <laughs> this is we're a bunch of girls like we're like this is ne- like we've never had like a color like I can't tell you the last time I had juice so I was like we would do these things and so um when you're trying to get over like certain anxieties you'll usually like start small and then work your way up so these are just ways of kind of like dealing with a phobia so, yeah um oh. so th- that was really helpful and then we stayed like I stayed in the treatment facility and then um went over to like a step down unit kind w- of sorry what would it like what would it be like or what was it like talking to the other people who were there with you i actually found that particular treatment center to be not super like comforting or validating because a lot of these girls had really tough lives and i was like what the fuck is wrong with me like i wasn't raped i had great parents mm-hmm. i like Grew up on a conservation area where I just like ran around and pretended I was a witch all the time. Like I, so I was like, 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 what's wrong with me? Like I shouldn't have. Like I had a lot of like 
I love, like, of course I would, like, do this to myself. But I had, like, a lot of, like, guilt. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, these people, like... Sufferer's guilt. Yeah, they're, like, yeah. they just, like, they have a reason. And so, so for me, like, a lot of, like, I, I realized later that that treatment facility was, like, for people who were very treatment resistant. A lot of people were very, very sick. Like, some people came in on feeding tubes. They were, like, so Whoa. sick, right? You mentioned, um, you mentioned all these girls a few times in that last segment about, about, uh, your tre- this treatment facility in the U.S. What's your knowledge on on guys having? So yeah, disorders? I think I think there's been like more exposure around that. They're definitely. It's hard to really get numbers on men with eating disorders because <laughs> I don't think that um, they might be as vocal about it. I don't know if they seek treatment as much, so the numbers might not be as prevalent. But there's like a good chunk of that that's male. Yeah. I haven't. Oh no, when I was leaving my second treatment program, which was effective, um, there was one guy coming into it. Yeah. So in that's the one guy I've kind of ever and seen. And how many people are you there with at one time? Eleven other people, I think. Because I've never I've heard I've heard people kind of talk about eating disorders and say something along the lines of like, yeah, girls who have eating disorders. Or guys, like almost like catch themselves and kind of add in like or a guy, you know. I feel like I said that. Yeah, you know, because and I feel yeah. like I would say that as well because I've yeah. only, well, I think I've yeah. only ever I in popular culture have heard it referred to with women, and, and I, that might be why it's harder prob- for guys to yeah, but to w- say they true. Have but disorder. would you also say that it's probably more of a predominant? Uh, it's predominantly <clears throat> female, like suffered. Um. Is that how you'd word that? I don't know. It's it's just it's so hard for me to know. But in my experience, what I've come across at these centers or whatever um, is yeah that that's what I've seen. But I don't know if it's because they're they feel even more shameful because they're like this is a girl's disease. This is like a white upper class yeah, like thing. Right. Yeah. I'm not a chick. Like what's wrong with me? But um, the, the again, guy, like it's so racked in stigma, like in from every angle, right? Yeah. Like every aspect of the, of this disorder. Yeah. It, it, like, and that's maybe why nobody really has this like depth of understanding of it. So nobody yeah. can really come out with it. So everyone has this like shallow understanding and people with eating disorders assume that you'll think the worst. You'll think that it, we we're just on this crazy diet. We're choosing to do this to ourselves. All, I've had, I've had actual, like I've had a psychiatrist tell me like, just legitimately just don't go to the fridge. Whoa. That's like saying, cheer and then he up prescribed me depression. crazy amounts of like heroin. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, well, I'm trying to remember the class of like Seroquel, but it's like some sort of crazy mood stabilizer, basically a downer. And I was, and oh thought that, like, I know how I'll treat her before we figure this out. I'll just like zombify her. And so mm. he was like, just don't go to the first. So people think it's like, it's just so hard to come out with because, yeah, I oh, never, fuck, I never think that people will, like will see the full scope of it. So, what it, you so you went to this first treatment center and you said that it wasn't really effective? It was effective. Like during that time I felt a lot of freedom because you had a lot of accountability. I I kind of radically accepted that I was there, that I would like eat the food that I was given. I wouldn't purge um by vomiting any of those things. I think I had like two slips when I went into the step down unit. But it was like a nice reprieve for me of like, okay, like I'm waking up, I'm doing things. 
I hadn't felt productive in a long time, but because all these things are structured for you, I had a lot more like social stimulation than usual. And like, we all had these relationships with one another and it was really nice. There's a lot of like joking and we can kind of all commiserate. Um, and you're safe, right? You're in this inpatient place. It's gorgeous. People are making your meals for you. You're safe. And I think, um, what I, what I want to get across if like anyone's struggling is you don't necessarily need that setting and it might not be the most helpful to recover because it's really not anything like real life is like. It's a really artificial. Yeah. 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 And you go home and you're like, yeah. Is there like a decompression period or like you yeah, come yeah. home and you're like, Whoa, my God, now I'm getting hit with real life. And yeah. It's- and they try to like, you know, give you kind of more autonomy and, and move to a place with less supervision and you kind of like live your own life and start volunteering places and stuff. But really when you go home, it's like, it's all on you. And, and you went, you, you go from a thousand dollars a day worth of support to none. Yeah. So and the reintegration is just, it's, it yeah. And I think sometimes it's, it's a great place for people who are like really can't control themselves and, um, are really scared about their ability to, stay alive or, or beat it like because you're really accountable you're medically stabilized and, and stuff um but for me it wasn't the most helpful or maybe I just wasn't ready to recover at that point yeah yeah and that was before Acadia okay so let's move forward then yeah this so you you hit Acadia how are you doing then when we met like how were, were what where were you when we met um I was doing pretty well I was like 18, you were what, 20? Yeah, I was doing pretty well. I went into theater because I feel like I lost a, a lot of like my sense of self through my eating disorder. And I was like, what was the last thing I remember like loving? And it's like film and theater and tech and stuff like that. <coughs> so I explored programs. I visited my best friend, who's still my best friend now here at Acadia. And I just like got a really good feeling there. I really like the town. I really like the small like town sweet. vibe. It's, it's like sweet place. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so nice. I, love I still it. really romanticize it. Um, Me too. And yeah, and so I headed over there. I was doing like okay, um, and I guess I like little like binges and purges have started kind of like coming in and out. I was like pretty healthy. Like I try to work out. I did a lot of like yoga and stuff like that, but like I never kind of shed the binging and purging like at least like once a week. And then like every time you do it because you're trying to recover, you're ashamed. Well, first you're hungover. And as I got older and older, it was harder and harder. It's like us with our hangovers. Like I'm sure every year you're like, like your hangovers now are like two days. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same thing with this. So I got there anyways. Um, And then I was in a relationship and then I guess like fast forward, like my second year um, or like third, third year at Acadia, that relationship ended or maybe right before that. And it was just a huge (laughs) trigger and it went back to like that middle summer where like I had no control. At first I started, at first I was like, I want to be macrobiotic and I started running a lot and I was like, oh, this is good. Right. And then it just, any sort of like people with eating disorders, like, please, like, or a history of, like, be so careful around, like, any cleanse or diet or whatever, because they can really set you off, and it, and it really did. Um, <coughs> I started getting worse and worse and worse, and I was living alone, um, and, and I, yeah, I, I called my dad. I was pretty open with my parents at this point, and I could talk to them when I've slipped and stuff like that, and then I, I remember calling my dad and being like, I just, like, I can't do it. And there was one night too where I had, this is like so gross, but I had like binged and purged or I'd binged so much, but it was like a lot of really bready things and I like couldn't purge it. It like got stuck and I thought I was going to like choke to death because oh my God. 
I couldn't, I couldn't like get it out. And I was like, this is, it was just so fucked. Like I, I like, like it got like almost lodged in your esophagus coming back up. Or? Yeah, basically. And I was just like, I was freaking out in, um, another, like you can tear your esophagus. That's like, and bleed out. That's like one of the risks too. um, like ulcerate and then tear. And I was so scared and like, Oh, I'm so embarrassed to say this. I like, uh, I talked to my dad and we were like the best thing to do. Like I called an ambulance cause I like, yeah. I don't want an internal yeah. bleed. So I did. And I, at the time I didn't realize that ambulances were like a hundred bucks. Yeah. A hundred bucks, man. I'd pretty sure. Oh, oh, yeah. bucks. Maybe it's 700. Yeah. I don't remember. They're, they're, expensive. Expensive. they're, uh, expensive they're pretty shit. expensive. Yeah. yeah. Brian would know. Yeah. Yeah. And all through this Story time, actually I've been time. seeing a, or like a year prior to this, I'd been seeing like a therapist in Nova Scotia and trying to like get it on track, but nothing was really coming together. <clears throat> and then I kind of stopped seeing her. It got really bad. Anyways, I, so I called the ambulance, went there and I just didn't trust myself. And they're like, are you suicidal? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't feel safe because I wanted them to just keep me there so I could like not hurt myself or whatever, um, oh, yeah. by doing this more. And it's, and so they kind of just like dope me up and I stay there for a few days. I can't really remember much of it. I do remember that I still purge there, like whatever tiny bit of hospital food I ate. Whoa, really? Um, and then my dad was like, I don't think you should live in Nova Scotia anymore. I want you to come home. And I'm like, I want to come home. I want to try to do this again and because um, I don't want to die. And then I got home and there was a... We found this program in Toronto that was like outpatient, but you'd go to a hospital five days a week. And I really wanted to go to it, but there was a wait list. Um, so I kind of like chilled in my parents' basement for like three or four months waiting to get into this program that um, I thought was really going to help. And I just lost so much weight. I would, it broke my parents' heart. Like they knew what I was yeah. doing. I was just like, uh, and like they were like trying to give me money so I could like go out and do stuff, but I would just like, binge and purge with it. It was just like, and I had my own car. It was just like bad. And I have like the, I just remembered this yesterday. And I, I remember once my, my dad, cause he, he worked in the neighborhood coming to like a McDonald's parking lot and seeing me in my car binging. Oh my God. And feeling like a, so embarrassed and be like so bad for my dad to have to see that. Like, and did, did he try to like yeah, engage and, and like, and, yeah. and sort of, yeah, he's really, he's really like fiercely wants to protect me and, and I couldn't face it. And like, it just, it was so bad. I remember just like locking my car doors and being like, probably pretty cruel. I was cruelly cruel at this point. Cause I was just oh. like, fuck off. Don't, I was probably just like, fuck off. Like get the fuck out of my face basically. Yeah. Like that language, yeah. that vibe. Um, so it was a dark period. I lost a lot of weight. Um, I had very few friends. I didn't find that like throughout this whole, thing I didn't get a lot of support from people except for like the two people that are like still my best friends like one of my best friends would Skype me from Spain like all yeah. the time and just and another friend that I had that friend from Acadia who would like check in with me and like give me some social outings and stuff like that but otherwise it was just a lot of like really dismal stuff me losing a lot of weight that Mexico trip that I told you about that picture and then I went into this outpatient program um, and my whole life changed so before before you end up in this outpatient program to take it back to that question that I asked, um, back at the start, uh, when everything seemed like it was going so well, is this kind of the period where you would go back and tell that person that felt like they were unstoppable that, look, this is where this is going to take you or. Yeah. Cause it, cause this had been taking up most of my mind space 
for like close to 10 years. And still now I wonder like, <laughs> where would I be if this hadn't taken so much of me? Like, um, like, mm-hmm. like what would I be doing? Like, who would I like, I, I have no idea what that person would be like. And, um, and at that point, right before I got into that program, I remember, I remember being like in that basement, like in my room and being like, and not eating and, and throwing up so much and risking, knowing I'm risking my life every time I do it because it's, it's like so extreme how I'm doing it. Um, and being like, I don't know, something, I just knew that this was now suicide. This is just a really, a really prolonged, slow, drawn out, which is suicide. so fucking and I, crazy yeah. to think about. Yeah. And I like, I just, I didn't have any like self control. Like I just, and, and at this point I was so thin and, and binging and purging so much and stuff that I lost, like my, I couldn't read like more than two sentences. Um, I couldn't really like watch TV or movies. Like I couldn't focus on anything. Couldn't really like engage with anything. Um, thank God for animals throughout all of this. Like my parents always have like three plus dogs. So, um, they were always there with me. Um, but other than like animals and like sometimes walking in the woods, like that was basically it. And, and it was just me like self-loathing and trying to cope with that by doing what caused the self-loathing. Mm-hmm. When you look back on this as an entire experience, do you resent it or do you regret that this has happened or do you kind of see the value in what you've learned from it all? Yeah, I think it's been a very like grounding experience. Like I don't, uh, um, I think like, I really value really simple things. I remember thinking like, I just want one day. I just want one day where I like wake up and I don't like, I just eat a normal meal and I do stuff that normal people do. And I would idolize people who just had normal lives. Like anyone, like a cashier at a grocery store. I'd see girls, I'd see boys anywhere doing whatever and being like, I just want like, I just want that. Like I want to be like, I want to have headphones on and be enjoying music and like, and. It's so all encompassing. Like it's, it's so, it literally is just, Affecting every waking uh, moment. Yeah. Not only the not only the the internal like the self loathing and the self hate that you're going through, but I mean just the the scientific effect uh, of of what your body yeah. isn't getting. I mean, there's a ma- there's ma- you know like the enzymes and the and the and the electrolytes for and sure. all the nutrients and, and for what so that many years that like compounded too. Um, yeah. That's having an effect not only on your body, like your you know how your body functions on a daily basis, but your brain and yeah. how your brain develops and works. And- Absolutely, and and throughout it, there's like depression going on and stuff. And um, what's interesting or like kind of scary about depression is the longer it goes untreated, like you actually give yourself you're at risk for permanent brain damage. You're like pruning synapses, you're pruning parts or like sorry parts of your brain rather. And so I had like ten years of like of just retraining these thoughts of like self hate and like really pounding it in. And the thing, like, I I think it's made me really empathetic, really like grounded. I feel like, um, I can kind of like connect with anyone and whatever. Um, but I just regret that I've done this. Like I've put my body through this because I worry that like, um, I'm getting closer to wanting to have kids and, um, no, I want kids, but I'm getting closer to actually doing it. And I want to like, be here for as long as possible. And I, part of me knows that like, I've either like shaved years off my life. Like something's got to come from this. Like 
like there's got to be some like hopefully not but my biggest fear is that I will and I've heard people who've like suffered from bulimia and um, people who've purged a lot um, have gotten esophageal cancer and that's my biggest fear mm. um, so well, yeah, you're, you're 20 saying your, your voice you know this is like directly affected the the sound of your voice and direct, you know all that bile and all that shit that gets yeah. forced out of and your- I was like yeah I would oh yeah I didn't mention this like through this um the one thing that gave me a little bit of comfort in this period of my life would be like I'd like binge purge all this thi- all these things making my mucous membranes so like exposed and raw and then I would like smoke weed over it right um so it's like a lot of burning Right, you're you're letting that that tissue be exposed and more prone to like mutations of cancer, right. and so like I, all these things, I can't forget it. And I don't no, I, I want. I'm I'm happy I've had the experience I've had. I think like, it's given me this really strange like sense of humor, <laughs> um, about like the whole thing and, and life in general. Um, and I don't know. And I, I think it it helps me be uh, a good nurse. Mm. And yeah, when yeah. you're when you're talking about. Uh, the the long term effect and wanting to have kids and what it's done what what the like irreparable damage may be when yeah. it comes to that or like the length of the, the the length of your life how how long has it been since you since you last per, binged or purged yeah I'm trying to remember um, I see everything in like relationships which is like so much like, where was I in my life um, and actually this is like kind of interesting to mention too so. Um, before Mandy and like a chunk of time between, um, I was in an abusive relationship, which like is insane. Um, and physically abusive, uh, yeah, both. both. And it was just like toxic in general. Like I wasn't perfect in it either, but it was really bad. Um, and during that relationship, I think I slipped about like three or four times and that wasn't like that long ago, but looking back and being like, you know what? I was in an abusive relationship. I was like, writing my nurses, nursing licensing exams, all these things, and I didn't turn to my eating disorder. Maybe, like, literally, like, a few, like, a handful of times I had one binge of Persian. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then months would go by. But it's it's been years. Were you yeah. super proud of that? So proud. Yeah. And yeah. I never, like, lost my job. Like, I never, like... And the thing is, is it's like a, like, it's like a no-fly zone. It's just, <clears throat> I know at this point in my life, and, like, it's taken so much time and so much practice to be like, this will actually make things worse. The... Sorry, like okay. like binging and purging, going into your eating disorder, like it's not going to help anything. So um, like looking mm-hmm. back on that and my resilience or at least my like uh, dedication to recovery, I think that's so fucking badass. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of the fact that like I dealt with that. I mean, I didn't deal with it because I, I don't have the greatest coping mechanisms because my coping mechanism has been an eating disorder for such a chunk of time. So I, I have a hard time like regulating my emotions and dealing with stuff, but I still, regardless of how fucking crazy I was, like I acted during that period, because that's hard on anyone. Um, I never used my eating disorder, and I was like, that like definitely says something about where I am, mm-hmm. and it would take I don't know what it would take to push me back there, and I think I don't think anything could really good. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough.
The reason that I asked that question is because I was having a discussion with uh, with my girlfriend after we and going back to how you said you know this is an it's an addiction that you're trying to kick and you relapse and you and you and then you 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 get get clean or let's say yeah yeah uh, and then you relapse and you get clean and then eventually something happens like you go to this uh, program that changes everything and and you look at everything in a totally different way. I had this conversation with uh, with Kyla about. Our last, our guest who was <clears throat> addicted to heroin, and I, and one side of the argument was, oh, he was a heroin addict from the time he was sixteen till he was twenty-one. So there's two sides of that argument. He's twenty-one. He's got all the time in the world to get everything. He is back on track, and he's still young, and he's still got his everything ahead of him. It's the plus side, the, the the minus side, or the negative side is that. He does it in, a, in such a de- develop, developmental stage of his life that could prohibit, you know, his ultimate growth or his ultimate potential for totally. growth. Totally. So, yeah. like, like, so th- that's why I asked that question about how what these long term effects might be. Because yeah, that's. On one side I'm so thing, happy you brought that up because I was like, what is like, what is something that like this is definitely <clears throat> why I don't think like anyone should glorify this or anything, but. Like I'm, I'm 29, but I truly feel that, that, that for that period of time, um, I definitely gained insight and there's things I've got from that. And I'm sure I, I gained some intelligence in that period, but I feel developmentally delayed, especially with regards to like dealing with my emotions, general life stresses, my perspective, all those things. I'm just starting to like really engage with like my interests. Like, um, I feel like I'm like more attracted to women. This is my first, I'm 29. This is my first relationship with a woman. Mm. Like, so I'm just like getting, um, like more in touch with like what I, who I truly am and stuff. And that's such a, yeah, it's a period of self discovery and stuff. And everything I was doing was just so like controlled and curated. And now, now I'm able to like explore, but I I feel like I'm like at the start of university. I don't feel like I'm like, yeah. Yeah, so it's like I hope I'm like okay to be a mom. Like, fuck. Yeah, but I'm like teen mom. Like, if I have a baby, like yeah. I'll be teen mom. <laughs> I need help. Give me help. Oh, sorry, that was insensitive. Some but, of the best moms I've ever known though are, are teen moms. I bet. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, um, but no, that's like such a good point because I I do feel like I'm um, and this isn't everyone who has an eating disorder, but definitely my experience. Like, I truly feel like, in a sense, developmentally delayed, and and that's okay. I'm okay with that now. And it's exciting to start to like explore things more, mm-hmm. but it does suck. I do have a lot of like sympathy and compassion for mm-hmm. myself in those times. And I do like sometimes, not very often, but like reflect back on that. And even when I felt terrible about myself as a, as a child, and I'll just kind of like imagine myself now, like holding myself as a child and like comforting them and stuff, because I, I know how much pain I went through and like, for what reason? Yeah. Like I was fine. I was just like a person. I was yeah, just being a yeah, person. Yeah. Like, yeah so and my perspective is that is that because it because it's because you're 29 and you and it's been you know uh, uh, three plus years ish that's like since, since it's yeah. been kind of rectified or, or or since you've had had that last experience I'm trying to think it's actually I think it's been hold on like five five so I mean you know 24 years old 
You're so young at that point, and if you're able to, that's why I started drinking. Yeah, and you're so you're so young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 That's that's I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge it. boozer, but like yeah. eh, that can be fun. Like yeah. being, I, then I started to yeah party, be a yeah. kid, right? Yeah, and I think that I think that that the that the long term health effects. I mean, I'm sure that there are some, but I don't. I I think that at that point, and your so, your body is is still so resilient, like resilient at this at that age that you can. Maybe not a one hundred percent reverse the effects of what you went through, but like your body's really strong, and you can get a, and you can and you can hopefully start and go on and live and have you know little to no after effects or long term effects. Totally, of that I hope experience. so. I have like a lot of living to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Like a lot of it. totally. I feel like yeah. this this entire conversation is as has had a lot of <clears throat> um, information or reasons why interspersed of why eating disorders are 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 so bad in quotation marks but if you were to give a message to someone who is struggling with that right now like what would you say to them um to not be so hard on themselves cuz that really doesn't help things mm-hmm. if you can like try to build in a bit of compassion and when you feel the strength to be vulnerable, to reach out, and it doesn't have to be someone that's close to you, because sometimes that's the hardest. You don't want to hurt people, but people are doing more research in this area. Like people are so skilled at helping people through this. Like um, there's like sliding scale therapy and all that stuff. Um, and if you have no money at all, like re- actually really great workbooks that you can even get at like chapters and stuff. And just like just start thinking about um, what you might do to get a bit better and like tiny steps. Um, I think everyone is, is a bit different, but just having a bit of compassion can go a lot way. Cause, um, myself and people who've, who've dealt with stuff like this are really hard on themselves. So give yourself a bit of a break for being in this. Like the shame is so powerful. Um, and then just like try to look at it honestly and actually where you're at and see like what you, what you could do, what you're willing to do. And it doesn't mean that you have to do anything now, but what are little things you can do to reduce your harm a bit, or um, yeah, even consulting with someone to see if you know you can't get better just to reduce the harm a bit, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and yeah, there's lots of places. I mean, it helps to be in a bigger city, like being in Toronto. Um, I went to the Toronto General Hospital outpatient program um, and being in a program where I'm still like in my house, I have to go back to my house. I'm alone on the weekends was like the greatest treatment modality and group therapy is so great and can be really validating and really help you kind of like integrate and consolidate your experience and give yourself a bit of a break. And, um, yeah, so just being, <clears throat> be kind like with yourself cause you've gone through so much and you need to you just, you, not all the time. You, you gotta give yourself a break and like, mm-hmm. but all in, all in your time, like you'll know when you're ready for, for people who are, um, who might know someone or suspect, that someone in their life is like going through a, an eating disorder. It's it it feels like such a. You know, you were saying at one point how you were saying that you didn't feel this like support um, in your life. At, at some point, you were mentioning how like you didn't feel support, and like no one would really like say the words to you. No one would actually like broach the subject to you. Because I feel like it's one of those things that we always, if if you feel like someone has an eating disorder, I'm thinking about it right now. Like I, I have a really good friend and his girlfriend, like there's without a doubt, she's going through an eating disorder. And like, I've kind of tried to broach the subject to him, Mm 
and he's like shut it down right mm-hmm. away. And, and like, how do you how do you broach the subject? Like, how is it something that you can bring up to someone to be like, look, I'm worried about you. Or, you know, like, it seems like such a... I don't even know what I would do. Like, I would probably... um, That person's probably really lonely. That person is probably really... So first off, um, just, like, talking to someone, like, genuinely doing social things. Helping that person experience life because a lot of their life is probably quite dismal and controlled. Something that they're comfortable with, like, even, like, going to a movie. And then them just becoming close and non-judgmental with someone supportive, non-judgmental, you're at least opening the doors for if they were ready to talk about it. But people do generally have to be ready. But if you really care for someone and you're a friend, it's okay to be like, you know what? I'm worried about you. You don't have to talk about anything, but I just want you to know that, that you can, if you ever needed support, you want me to help you figure, I'm not saying that you necessarily do, but like just in case. Um, but if, that's for friends. But if you're a parent and your kid is struggling and you know, um, don't let your kid go away to university unless there are like great supports in place because just based on experience and, um, and research, it's a, it's a really vulnerable time and you, um, you can, it's, I don't know, it's a challenging time for people in general and, and very, very much for these people. So at least, set them up with supports, visit them often, keep in really good contact or have someone kind of like check in on them. Um, but maybe encourage them to stay closer to home, yeah. not necessarily live with you if they're not comfortable with that. But, um, I wish I had done that. Um, but there was no talking to me at that point. Yeah. I wanted to go, like I had my goal, like, and I was like, I'm going to McGill. Like, it's good. I feel like that's the thing that I, that I, that I associate with the pro- well, big problem being is like when you talk to, if you tried to bring it up, that, that just goes, it's just like a wall. nope. Yeah, just a wall. Like, because you know? I, like, I know somebody who has the who who you know they are a, a loved one is is has some mental illness issues, and even bringing up something that is like five degrees separated from the ultimate question of "Are you okay?" is is like, why are you asking me that? Yeah. Yeah, you can get a like, really like intense response. And I'm yeah. sure like when my parents said anything to me, it wasn't like, you know what? I'm fine. It was like, fuck off. Like, yeah. seriously, like what are you serious? Is this a joke? No, yeah. absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Like, yeah. like fiercely denying it. Like you might hear that for a while, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to stop asking. Cause there might be a day or a, an, a window of opportunity where it just clicks a little. And that person knows that have. you yeah. care about them. And yeah. so when they are ready, they might be like, like me, my parents asked me and asked me and asked me when I was truly worried about my life and I knew that there wasn't much of a life that I was even living, I came to them. Yeah. And like you said, you said it earlier, like you were just so grateful that they... Oh my God. Know. Yeah. And they, they didn't, I mean, it's, they, they weren't not proud of me during high school because of, because they weren't strong enough or they were like scared of me. They just, they just got this, they trusted me. They trusted what I said and... And I, yeah, I just like, anytime they, they came near me, I was just like, nope, like nothing. Like, I mean, I think they like maybe like asked a couple of times and it's just like totally shut down. And I was just, I just had, was focused on my goal of like doing what I was doing, going where I was going and yeah, but just, just keep asking, just be like, just try to help that person. Like they're probably like keep themselves on a tight leash, but just like doing nice, calming things. Cause remember this person's going through like unrelenting anxiety. So like yeah. go for a walk, like ask them if they want to go to like a concert, like just 
just try to, to bring them out and just be a good friend. Mm-hmm. Help them enjoy their life a bit because it's a hard one for mm-hmm. sure. I have two questions. Yeah, please. Um, you mentioned that. You're come here, come up here, come up here. <laughs> Talking to this microphone. This is, oh. this is Jenna, everybody. Jenna takes <coughs> takes film footage of us. Um, Ask away. So you mentioned that you, the second treatment program worked, and you felt like it was you rec- were in recovery. Yeah. But then you were in an abusive relationship. Yeah. After that. Yeah. So and you. But not to demonize this person, like it was like. I mean, yeah. No. But you, just you had mess. said earlier on that self-esteem seemed to be the root yeah. issue. So it was like after the eating disorder, was did you transfer? My best friend was like this person whose name I won't mention is your new eating disorder. Like this is how you're, this is like your thing now. This is how you're like abusing yourself and like going back was like this addictive thing because when you're in this like toxic dynamic there's like this addictive like passionate element to it um and so yeah there was like a bit of transference for sure and I um you know I was seeing a therapist like I've and and since then I've been seeing a therapist almost weekly like for my life because I'm like protecting this like I don't care how much it costs me um my parents have been supportive and helped me out with that too um but no that's a really interesting question and and for sure like um I think like I'm st- like I'm slowly growing and stuff and then, and it was hard to kind of come to that realization but yeah and the reason and the thing is is I remember oh my god I remember this person spat in my face twice like once and then again like like 5 seconds later god, and so then extreme. Yeah, it's so extreme to do it once I know. Dude, double spit. Yeah, double like, spit? Oh my god. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, <laughs> but, you got uh, just do that a second time. <laughs> um, it took me a year after that point to leave. Or wow. maybe a little, maybe more than a year. And so, like, yeah, like for sure, like my, and I still work on my self esteem all the time, and I'm getting to know myself better and, and stuff like that. Um, but no, for <laughs> sure, like, so I don't, I'm not symptomatic. But, like, the root is still there, and I know, and it, it's okay, I'm okay with it, but it's, my, it's definitely my life's work to just, like, be okay with myself, figure out who I am, and give myself a fucking break. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I still, like, I still think I'm, like, really dumb all the time and, like, haven't achieved anything and, like, stuff like that. It still pops up. I still have body image issues like any girl. I'm not crazy. I don't do a lot of checking or anything like that. Um, but Are you still practicing your hearts? Do you draw your heart still? <laughs> uh, those, you got the hearts no Those hearts are so rock and roll. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> so sharp. Yeah. Yeah, but no, like, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and it's about not acting on those urges, not having those symptoms, but just yeah. because you're not displaying those kind of eating. Because it's an addiction, and addiction is rooted in way deeper problems. Yeah, I'm still, like, working those through for sure. And um, I'm so lucky to have the financial resources to continue to work through it. Um because it's it's a big thing to work through for sure. And my other question is, you're dating someone who is in chef school. Yeah. What's that like? Food is like oh, yeah. a constant part of her life and now your life. So what's great about that, there's okay, there's something that's not great about that, and there's something that's great about that. The great thing about it is it's constant anxiety exposure therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy's in a baking class that's twice a week. I mean it's delicious and I love pastries, but it's still like you know, sometimes it's still hard for me and I'm still like, I got kind of a an kind of meal plan type of thing years and years ago and I still loosely follow it. It's really protective for me. So 
it pushes me outside of that a bit. Um, and Mandy's so passionate about food, but Mandy puts such a positive spin on food and, um, it's such a great experience. Um, but I think because what's been so important to me is, and it took me literal, literally like over five years to develop this, um, feelings of hunger and fullness. Um, cause when you've disconnected from your body for that long, it's so hard to like get it back. Like, and to know like, okay, I'm, I'm full. I'm like, I had to work on it like for so, so like rating my hunger, my fullness to try to <clears throat> relearn that. Um, and sometimes like, cause she loves food so much. <laughs> She's like, Oh my God, try this thing. Like I'll, I'll pick her up from school or whatever. And I had just, let's say like eaten a big snack and she'll be like, Oh my God, can you please try my tart? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I can't like I'm I'm so full and I I want to respect that I want to respect my body I don't ever want to like you know what I mean and mm-hmm. I mean I'll take mm-hmm. bites here and there because that's what a normal person would do I'm always like hey what would a normal person do or like I'll ask her like is this normal like I just had a snack is it normal and she's great about it and stuff and so I'll push myself to try it but I and I'm worried it hurts her feelings sometimes because I'm like I don't want to try this but she's so talented and I do but I'm also trying to be protective respect and yourself. respect yourself and respect myself yeah. and and what works for me but um, no she brings a great light to food and, and that experience and always wants to eat with me and um is so supportive and it's like it's it's so nice it's such every meal time is like a really nice experience yeah. and she'll like make sure I have breakfast and stuff like that and because I'm a nurse it's hard to fit meals in she'll like check in and stuff and she knows what I need and it's having a good partner is like so protective it sounds it sounds like you have such an amazing ability to be self-analytic and oh my god so much do you do you ever worry that you overanalyze things yeah i have a really bad case of judaism (laughs) (laughs) just like like like, not to uh, say that all jews are crazy at all but just like let's think of larry david woody allen like um But no. <laughs> because you talk about you talk about like you talked about um, it's, seriously you talked about wanting to be in quotes normal yeah when it comes to your eating habits and things like that and I I just wonder if you feel like that over analysis of how much you eat and when you eat and is this okay and what would a normal person do type of thing is that does that like have an effect on on eventually feeling normal. Um, so I've, re- I'm definitely still like overanalytical, but everything in my life, like I, it's, it's hard to let go of that. Like you we were talking about person, that kind of like yeah. seeing the narrative from outside and right. being kind of really critical. It's hard for me to be present, but with the food stuff, like it's, I'm not, I'm not so much all the time. Like when I, f- like a lot of the times we'll be like with my meal plan, I'm like, did I have breakfast? Did I have lunch? Did I have dinner? Do I have two snacks? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I was hungry today and I was like, oh, I just like went and got a tea and got a dairy milk. Like I didn't really think about it. It was like, I want to look a piece of chocolate. Like that would never happen. So I'm like kind of like loosening the bone right. there and yeah. and chilling out a bit. And that to me, that's, that is normal. That is like, that. I yeah. reflected on that because I'm doing this tonight and, or did this tonight. I knew I was, it was coming and I was like. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Like, as if I'd ever go get a dairy milk <laughs> and not think about it and, like, get actual sugar in my tea. What? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's literally those, like, little things are, like, so great. And it, it takes, you know, I, I don't always reflect on, like, I just had a normal day. That's great. Like, I'm always, like, what's the next thing I can accomplish? And I'm still hard on myself. But, no, it's, like, a feat. Like, a normal day. Yeah. I have, like, a job. I go to, to it every day. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't sit in a basement and, like, abuse myself. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Yeah. Cool. But it's hard to be present for sure. Would you ever want to work in nursing with people who have eating disorders or is that a trigger? Um, I haven't really seen any like thing come up where there'd be like, um, that type of, of work. Um, I'm not particularly drawn to it only because I think it would help for me to get a bit of distance from it and also to be a more present person and more confident in myself because I give all adults a lot of credit and people know, like people can read people mm-hmm. and I want I want those girls, if they knew that I was recovered, to see someone that they could really model themselves after. And I'm not saying I'm like not necessarily that person, but I want to, if I did, I'd want to be stronger and I just want to be really cemented in my recovery. And um, it's, I've thought about maybe doing some peer support in the next little while and seeing if there's something I can offer in that regard. Um, But with regards to like my field of like medical practice, not really, but I am... um, I, I do do, uh, I do do, <laughs> I do a lot of mental health work because I work yeah. with new moms and babies. Um, and a lot of things come out like PPD and it's, it's really hard for a lot of people. It's not as a romantic picture for a lot of people who don't have support or who are new refugees and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I do do a lot of mental health work, um, but it's not really related to, to eating. And I'm, I feel good about that for now, but, um, I hope to like one day. Yeah, for sure. Um, this, oh man, this is like, I just want to thank you for, for this. Cause I, I'm, you know, I don't want to like pick favorites or anything like that, but I think this is probably one of the most, um, fascinating conversations I've had to date in, in this whole project that we've been doing. Oh, Jeremy. And, and I, I was so nervous. <laughs> well, you, you had a coffee. So. <laughs> it was the coffee. It was the Nespresso. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I like always ruin nice moments like this. Cause no. I like, I can't handle compliments. <laughs> well, we'll take it because, um, I think this, this is probably going to be our first episode. That's going to get to get a two parter because, um, two-parter. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know it. Uh, cause I don't want to cut anything. This is just yeah, like, this is, I think this is so fucking important. And I think that, uh, I hope, I hope that the people that listen to this, and I, and I hope that, I know that there's going to be people who listen to this that really need to hear this. Yeah. And I, when I was binging and purging that much, and maybe it's not so extreme for people, but I didn't, I knew people were bulimic and I knew people were anorexic, but I was like, nobody does it like this. Like nobody does it this much. Like I'm fucked. I'm fucked up. And if someone is having a similar experience or whatever, like they can be like, okay, I'm not necessarily a monster. Like there's a person who sounds relatively normal, like who went through this and whatever. Cause I felt so dirty and bad and like just the shame, like, and, and so if, if someone can feel like they're not alone, this is a mental disorder. Like this is part of the symptomatology. You can get better. You just have to yeah. find the right type of support. Then like good on them. Just like know that you're not a monster and it exists yeah. in other people. And that can be really comforting, even though it's mildly tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the proof. You're the you're the you're the person or a way that they can go. Okay, I'm not. This, this doesn't have this yeah. doesn't have yeah. to be forever. Yeah, I can, and I, I can have change. a functional relationship yeah. and a family and a career and be a good daughter because mm-hmm. a lot of that time I was checked out and a good friend and mm-hmm. and who knows, right? So yeah, yay. Mike drop. I think that is a perfect place to wrap it up. So I just we're just gonna go right into it. I'm Brian. Yeah. 
I'm Taylor. And I'm Jerry, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.